Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives again. And Jim, let's start with... Well, the good, and I guess Nancy Pelosi is the good because she's still going to Taiwan. Uh, I'm not sure the reason for her trip in the first place, but uh, nonetheless, she is the Speaker of the House, and Taiwan is an ally. Uh, The Biden administration doesn't want her to go. He's hiding behind the uh, military, saying the military doesn't want her to go, so therefore he's going to defer to them. Meanwhile, the Chinese, through their um, mouthpieces on social media that are state-sponsored and so forth, are out there saber-rattling to the point where if Nancy Pelosi has any fighter escorts, she's going to be shot down. And now, if she even crosses the straits, it's going to be a problem. So, Jim, uh, you've written about this and the importance to uh, standing up to bullies. Pelosi's an interesting football in this particular case, given how much we disagree with her on everything else. But uh, when the Chinese tell you you can't visit an ally makes you want to visit them all the more. So the fact that she's not backing down, I guess, is a good thing. Yeah, and when Pelosi first left, there was no indication of whether she'd be going to Taiwan or not. She'd indicated interest in doing so. We know the Biden team had been discouraging her from doing so. And obviously, with each passing day, the kind of uh, saber-rattling rhetoric from military, the Chinese uh, government spokesman, and their clearly state mouthpiece uh, uh, propagandists kept getting more and more intense day by day. And it's, it, you know, uh, at this point, I think it's safe to say that while the odds of the Chinese shooting down Nancy Pelosi's plane are not high, not really likely, it is greater than zero. It is, you know, not inconceivable. You have some sort of scenario in which they are attempting to, you know, the Chinese military said, we're going to be doing military exercises in that area. So you really don't want to fly near us, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. You know, the possibility of something going terribly wrong is not inconceivable. Not likely, but she's, you know, Pelosi is demonstrating a certain amount of physical courage in doing this. We can argue, I think uh, Allah Pundit over at Hot Air had a pretty good case of, you know, even if we do this, we've really antagonized China and what did we get out of it? But I think kind of the flip side of this, which I think is a more compelling argument, is that the moment China says, no, U.S. official, you are not allowed to visit Taiwan, we have decided you're not allowed to do that, well, then it becomes really important for the U.S. to send Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan. We need to demonstrate that we cannot be bullied. We need to demonstrate that we will not back down in the face of threats against our people. Uh, Taiwan, you know, despite our one China policy, Taiwan is effectively a independent country and we are a sovereign state and China does not get to veto where our elected leaders go to uh, outside of their territorial properties. And, and it's you know kind of glaringly obvious here on top of Afghanistan, on top of all the other challenges we've seen from the Biden administration, the idea that they would, you know, say, okay, well, we don't want to antagonize, but let's all back down. Let's all calm down here. Uh, You know, would be another just enormous embarrassment to U.S. foreign policy that we would look like that in the end, China does get a veto and that they really do effectively control who goes to Taiwan and when. And then the next question is, okay, what happens if they say no more U.S. diplomats can go to Taiwan? What happens if they say no more you know, U.S. commercial flights can go to Taiwan? Um, either you stand up to the bully now or you don't or you end up dealing with much worse consequences down the road 
And uh, thankfully, it's a rare moment. You know, don't blink, kids. It's not often on this podcast. You're going to hear us saying good things about Nancy Pelosi, but I'm glad she's going and she's demonstrating a bit of genuine courage in doing this at this time. Yeah, I don't know why she's doing it, uh, but once you're told you can't come, then you have to do it. So it's kind of a, a weird catch-22. Well, Greg, we should point out um, she's doing it because she's not going to be speaker in January. <laughs> and so if you want to visit as speaker, she'd be the first speaker since Newt Gingrich to do this. You got to get it in now. And uh, look, this is, you know, it's, it's making a little bit of history. And also, for all of her flaws, and Lord knows there are plenty of them, she's always been fairly tough on the Chinese government and their human rights abuses. So I think this is a letter, you know, pre retirement thumb in the eye to, uh, uh, to China. And again, you know, a, a rare pugnacious point from an otherwise very dovish politician. Yeah, I don't think that there's any threat of her actually being shot down. I think the Chinese wanted to see how much they could bully Joe Biden. And sadly, um, they succeeded with him. She just didn't listen to him. Uh, And that's kind of sad. I mean, just think last week we were talking about the swap that the U.S. is proposing of the uh, convicted you know, terrorist arms dealer in exchange for uh, the two Americans. And the Russians said, no, we want more than that. The Chinese are watching that. They're watching everything else that this president is doing, including his refusal to issue any sort of condemnation to a public threat to shoot down the Speaker of the House by China. Talk about weakness. And that's just on that front. There's also groveling before the world for oil and everything else. And so they figured they could, uh, you know, bully him around, too. They succeeded with Biden. They're not going to succeed with Pelosi, it would appear. So uh, calling their bluff, I think, is what yeah. is needed here. And that's what's happening. Regarding the hostages, Greg, I think the Russians are holding out for something that is the equivalent of the uh, Herschel Walker trade, <laughs> except the Biden administration probably gladly send over Herschel Walker. <laughs> we want our Americans home badly. But uh, but the, the way that this administration is just playing the weaker party all the time, it's just maddening. All right, Jim, I'll tell you something that's not exasperating, though, and that's the phenomenal deal you can get from our friends at Moinkbox. This is top-quality meat, steaks and bacon and chicken and salmon, delicious. Everything in there is fantastic, big, thick steaks and so forth, and they raise this meat the right way. It's not constantly injected with a bunch of hormones and chemicals and stuff. It's farm-raised the right way, and Moinkbox can be at your doorstep. All you have to do is order. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon, all delivered straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like our grandparents did, and as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should, because the family farm does it better. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash martini right now. Listeners of the Three Martini Lunch can get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste. But for a limited time, spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash martini. That's moinkbox.com slash martini. All right, Jim. If anybody said we were going to talk about Paul Krugman twice in, in the same in the same uh, span of a couple of weeks here, they would have probably made a lot of money. I would not have bet on that. But, uh, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the uh, New York Times op-ed page and writers explaining what they were wrong about. And for Krugman, it was he was wrong about inflation coming. But was he really? And now uh, Krugman, of course, is uh, very much uh, carrying the water for the Biden administration. And the water they need carried at the moment economically is that we're not really in a recession, even though uh, the common definition has been met here for the past two quarters. And so uh, on with Brian Stelter yesterday, uh, Krugman essentially saying that the bad economy narrative 
is a media concoction. So I think that what's happening now is that there's been a kind of a, a negativity bias in coverage. Um, just, you know, the, the, uh, the press should be giving people, people have their own personal experience. And if you ask people, how are you doing? Uh, they, they're pretty, they're pretty uh, upbeat. You know, there are signs that, you know, people are complaining now, especially about things like gas prices, although those have come down in the last six weeks. Um, but if you ask people, how's your financial situation? It's pretty favorable. If you ask them, how's the economy? They say, oh, it's terrible. And that's that's a media failing. So, Jim, the reality, of course, is that the mainstream media is bending over backwards to accommodate the redefinition of recession and so forth. So what do you make of the media's obvious efforts to do that and Krugman trying to uh, pull the wool over our eyes as well? Well, well, the first thing is, uh, you know, Brian Stelter, it's as if he decides I've got a show called Reliable Sources and I want to spotlight and feature the least reliable sources I can possibly <laughs> find. Uh, obviously, Krugman won a Nobel Prize in economics. Yes, that was a very long time ago. And I think you can argue the quality of his economic analysis, the rigorousness, and also quite simply, the willingness to tell the largely liberal and progressive New York Times uh, editorial page readership things they don't want to hear uh, are shrinking bit by bit, year by year, to the point where uh, not only did he say that we're not in a recession, but even if we did, it didn't really matter. And it just doesn't just mean it doesn't matter what we call it, whether you want to call this a uh, genuine recession or whether you want to say, oh, no, it only, it's only a genuine recession. It's from the um, the French uh, region of recession. Uh, and otherwise, it's just simply sparkling economic misery, to use the uh, joke that's been going around. Um, the, the idea that, you know, oh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah, inflation is high, but it could be getting lower. Well, look, it hasn't happened yet. You know, maybe... The inflation numbers for July will show it, but it hasn't peaked yet. Krugman also emphasized that unemployment is low, but it might be getting higher. Yes, this is kind of unusual to see uh, a shrinkage in GDP and to have low unemployment. But as my colleague Kevin Williamson laid out, well, if real purchasing power is shrinking, Americans are working, but they're actually getting less money in terms of take-home pay because their dollar doesn't go as far. Then how and you and you know obviously we have a huge number of openings but we can't fill those openings. You have this question: so how is that actually a strong labor environment? If you're working harder but you're not making more money, is it really a great you know great environment for workers? It isn't. It's actually pretty bad. Um, but you know, look, this is really bad messaging for the administration to have heading into a midterm election. They're probably going to lose a lot of Democrats. People are mad as heck about it. The president does have a limited ability to control inflation. But one thing you got to do is stop dumping money out into the economy. And lo and behold, you know, thanks to Joe Manchin, it looks like we're going to do this one more time before the midterms. Uh, and Krugman wants everyone to say, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's great. You are you've never had it so good. Who are you going to believe us or these, you know, those, those lying economic numbers? Um, and it's kind of intriguing that, uh, that, you know, this is the argument that uh, Stelter chose to put front and center. I, think, I suppose it's summer. So I guess he thinks nobody's watching. And considering CNN's ratings, he might be right. <laughs> Why won't you believe us that your life is great? Mm. Yeah, that's how they are. Uh, Jim, have you noticed this thing now where the Biden team is uh, comparing itself to Reagan in 1982 when the Republicans did not do well in the midterms? And their argument is, is that, you know, he was putting the, the pieces of a long term plan in place and they hadn't seen the results yet. And so the midterms didn't go well. But obviously the reelection went fantastic. 
That's the same thing that's going to happen here now. Jim, was a completely different situation. Ronald Reagan was not kneecapping our energy sector or other areas of the economy. They were fighting inflation with austerity measures from the Fed. And, of course, he had his aggressive tax cut proposals that really kicked in in 1983 and beyond. So uh, if they're trying to emulate Reagan, policy-wise, they're doing it exactly wrong. Greg, I just want to tell the Biden team, I know Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Ronald Reagan was a friend of mine. And you're no Ronald Reagan, uh, to paraphrase the paraphrase the Lloyd Benson line there. No, you know. Also, I point out that Ronald Reagan, who was allegedly too old, was like eight or nine years younger than Biden is right now. Right. At that time, yes, he, he was he was a, he was a spring chicken comparably. Absolutely, yeah, he was still in the 60s when he took office. Spent most of it in the 70s, but man, yeah, uh, the record quite a bit different on virtually everything. Uh, if you go back to the China story, do you feel like Ronald Reagan got bullied around the international stage? I don't think so. So uh, from top to bottom, it's there's no comparison whatsoever. Except they were both American presidents. That's that's about it. All right, Jim, on to our... They are uh, both carbon-based life forms. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Well, uh, Joe Manchin was out there feebly trying to defend his uh, massive spending plan that... Uh, chokes the American energy sector uh, over the weekend. Uh, but there's 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 more bad legislation in the pipeline. Our country is being rocked by soaring inflation, lackluster leadership, and chaos on the world stage. Americans need their legislators to focus on the issues that matter and ease the economic pain we're all feeling. Instead, senators like Amy Klobuchar are pushing a big government takeover of America's tech industry through progressive regulations that would worsen inflation and make important digital services like Amazon Prime more expensive and harder to use. Conservatives must block progressive pet projects that will raise prices and undermine our world's standing. These lawmakers need to keep American innovation the best in the world. NetChoice wants you to join it in telling Congress to stop rising prices and reject progressive tech regulations like Senate Resolution 2992. Learn more about the fight and send a letter to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And it's not often that we spend an entire martini on a sports story, and some folks may still wonder why we're doing that. But uh, one of the most bizarre offseason transactions in the NFL, uh, which is now in training camp, I believe, for every uh, NFL team, the preseason will be upon us before we before we know it, is the Cleveland Browns' massive, massive contract for Deshaun Watson, who missed all of last year with the Houston Texans because he was facing allegations from, I think, about two dozen different women, mainly masseuses, who accused him of being sexually inappropriate, sexual harassment, and even sexual assault in, in certain cases. Uh, then it was uh, revealed that there wouldn't be any criminal charges coming against Watson. And so the Cleveland Browns rolled out, was about a quarter of a billion dollars, right, <laughs> for Deshaun Watson over a number of yes. years. And, uh, and then it appeared that uh, there's going to be this massive disciplinary action. And it turns out uh, that it's going to be a six-game suspension for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Now, we got an inkling yesterday that this was going to happen because Watson and his team, before the decision came down, were saying, uh, we're, we're going to accept whatever the ruling is on this, which is obviously uh, less than what the NFL wanted here. So, uh, Jim, you're going to have some people pointing out that uh, you know physical assault resulted in Ray Rice being 
banned for a year and really for the rest of his life. I don't think he ever even got a, a look from another team after he was on camera punching his girlfriend in a casino elevator. Uh, you just had uh, Calvin Ridley from the Falcons suspended for a year due to gambling. The league's obviously going to be very, uh, very tough on that for the integrity of the game and so forth. So what's the impact of this going to be? There's going to be a lot of people claiming that uh, you know the NFL and, and others don't take these sorts of allegations seriously. Others are going to say six games is a lot. So what's the what's the larger impact of all this? We should begin by pointing out that a uh, grand jury declined to indict Watson on criminal charges related to harassment and sexual misconduct. Correct. But Watson still faces, I believe at last count, 22 civil lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct and assault. And I think somebody ran through the numbers and said, it's, yeah, it's, it's basically a, a one lawsuit per quarter. Uh, or a little bit less than that. That basically he's, you know, it's a, you know, people might have been willing to give Watson the benefit of the doubt. You're innocent until proven guilty. If there was one accuser, two accusers, look, maybe maybe a couple of them got together and decided to make some sort of false accusation in order to uh, reach a settlement or something like that. But 22? At this point, it becomes very tough to believe that nothing inappropriate occurred. Houston Texans were like, we're done with this guy. He's got, you know, way too much baggage. We're going to get rid of him. We're going to get draft picks. And, you know, Greg, when I'm on Hugh Hewitt's show, Hugh is a longtime Cleveland Browns fan, and he likes to give me grief about the Jets. I like to give him grief about the Browns. Neither one of our teams has a great deal to cheer about for the last couple of decades. But I kind of don't, I don't feel right making fun of Browns fans anymore because they were on the road to, if not, you know, serious title contention, then improvement, made the playoffs two years ago. They seem to have their quarterback of the future in Baker Mayfield. You know, was he perfect? No. Uh, where there's still some questions about whether he was the right guy for the long term, maybe. But we've all seen him in those ads for where he's basically living in the stadium. Uh, he was the face of the franchise, et cetera, et cetera. And then out of nowhere, Cleveland swoops in and he brings in Deshaun Watson. And there's a first question of like, okay, well, if you're going to bring in this guy, you'd better have really good, clear answers on what he did. Good, clear answers on what kind of a figure he's going to be. He's got to be a guy who can keep his nose clean, literally and figuratively. And he's going to have the kind of image you want to have associated with your NFL franchise. First press conference went terrible. They did not have all the answers to this. There have been subsequent lawsuits that have been filed. And there's kind of a sense that, no, Cleveland management did not do due diligence. They got rid of this perfectly good guy who's now traded to uh, Carolina. Baker Mayfield will now take on the... Uh, walking embodiment of quarterback excellence that is Sam Darnold down there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Baker Mayfield has packed his bags, and now Cleveland is kind of stuck with Deshaun Watson, knowing that there was an excellent chance he was going to be suspended for a certain portion of the season. So they give him a huge contract. They get rid of the guy who was already the face of the franchise, and they bring in this guy who's got all of this baggage, probably isn't going to face criminal charges, but still has this dark cloud over him, still this sense that, you know, this is a guy who's had not one, not two, but 22 women accuse him of doing things that are inappropriate and now he's out six games is that enough i think a lot of people are going to look at this and say that feels like a slap on the wrist this is really serious stuff and it was probably even worse is that you know a couple months ago there was talk of you know deshaun watson missing an entire year now here's the thing if we hadn't heard that maybe people would say "Eh, okay six you know six games still looks weird compared to calvin ridley being out for a year that's still good. people are going to point out you know was it brady with four games for the uh, deflate gate right four games yep right you know Insufficient inflation of a, of a football, you're out four games. Allegations of 22 cases of sexual assault, that's eh, six games. We'll get you an extra two games there. Really looks to It's almost as bad as the Ray Rice thing. It really looks like this league does not understand how to uh, adjudicate these matters, these, these sorts of things properly. Um, I don't know what kind of reception 
uh, Deshaun Watson is going to get. My guess is that if he's good on the football field, people will eventually, uh, fans will stop thinking about this. They they want to root for their team. They want to root for their guys. And they'll just choose not to think about it too much. But it does seem like the NFL has another self-imposed uh, black eye, another self-imposed PR hit, uh, looking like they ended up with a really way too cushy punishment for some very serious allegations. And again, it's not just the the seriousness of the crime alleged, it's the volume of them. It's the fact that there's so many of them. This clearly appears to be a pattern of behavior and just not what the Cleveland Browns want to be associated with. But they've made this bed and now they have to sleep in it. Jim, you think this is going to get revisited if there's a huge backlash? Probably not, because the other thing is that Cleveland did not pay him this gargantuan, largely guaranteed contract so he can sit on the bench or to be benched or to be suspended. Like It's not like the team's going to impose some other one. Um, I think, oh my goodness. So apparently the Akron Beacon Journal has the headline, with Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension, the Browns have recorded their first victory of 2022. <laughs> We laugh because otherwise we would cry, dear listeners. Yeah, surprising to say the least, Jim. Uh, The NFL might appeal this. I would be surprised if they didn't. No tears, of course, for the NFL. They've been leading us down the woke path along with a lot of other institutions for a long time. But for those interested in seeing proper consequences applied, it's certainly not the result they were expecting here at the beginning of August. Jim, unusual way to start the week. We'll see what tomorrow brings. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Uh, Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They're a big help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Former Trump immigration official Stephen Miller joins me to discuss how much the deep state is doing to control our speech and stifle disagreement with the left. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Miller will also explain why he believes the Justice Department is beyond repair in its current form. I'll also explain why fewer than 20% of Hispanics support President Biden. Don't miss it. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.